0: Welcome to the Men's Health Unscripted podcast with Patrick and Cam. We're folks early everything on men's health, looking at your emotional, your physical, and your spiritual well-being. You're going to take care of that and make sure you keep on going. What's going on, guys? It's Patrick flying solo for another awesome podcast with Men's Health Unscripted. We have an awesome guest up um, who has quite the journey in life just in general. His name is Bill Potts. His book is Up for the Fight, How to Advocate for Yourself as You Battle Cancer from a 5 Time Survivor. Um, Bill is a motivational speaker, creative business leader, an energetic community builder. Um, he's also a dedicated father and husband. So, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I cannot wait to dive into some of these topics, uh, and I'm sure our viewers are going to be excited. How are you doing today?
1: Doing great, Patrick. Thank you for having me on your show. You guys do great work.
0: Oh, Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Um, we feel like men's health has overall just kind of fallen to the wayside. And during our time in pharmacy school, we really felt that this was an opportunity for us to bring a lesser known topic to the forefront and also help guys kind of get over the like machismo aspect of healthcare and be able to vocalize problems and and come out and um, be a little bit more vulnerable. Um, so, you know, you've written a book about advocating for yourself, your battles with cancer. I mean, that's vulnerability to a T, but it's also be helping people who might be in a similar situation. So I would like to kind of just start off with what got you started and and what was the inspiration for writing your book?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I started off with my first cancer in 2002 when I went to my primary care physician at my wife's urging, which is hard for many people to want to do. He looked at me and said, you have this lump on your thyroid. It turned out to be thyroid cancer, which I had surgically removed, went through radiation ablation treatment, Patrick the same uh, radiation that came out of Chernobyl, iodine 131 I took as a pill thought I was done with my cancer battle then. In 2008, was diagnosed with stage three lymphoma. And then in 2014, was diagnosed with lymphoma again. And then in 19, lymphoma again. And then in 2020, was diagnosed with prostate cancer and then lymphoma again. And so you can see from this uh, schedule that my lymphoma is not curable. There's 61 different types. My particular version is not one that you can cure yet. And so, what what prompted the book was this journey. And then on September 17th, 2020, I had surgery at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville to remove a pretty significant tumor from below my right hip. And I woke up in the recovery room by myself, no no family because of the COVID protocol except for a nurse, a nurse, Jen. And I woke up from the surgery and I was having an emotional breakdown, not like sniffle, sniffle, tears running down my face, like full-fledged sobbing, like what's going on? And she's like, what is going on? And I told her that I wasn't sure I was up for the fight anymore, that I'd been through this enough times. I'd just been diagnosed with the prostate cancer, lymphoma for the fourth time. I knew what was coming and I wasn't sure I was gonna do it. And so we talked through that issue. She called the pastor into the room smartly, and we spent about an hour talking through the reasons why I should fight and those reasons, obviously, my family, my friends, my work to make God proud. And so at the end of the hour, I was fine, and I was ready for the fight, and the pastor said, you ought to turn your pain into purpose and write a book to help others. So... When you commit at our house, a deal's a deal. So I was committed and was fortunate enough to find a publisher who would get behind it. So I wrote it while I was going through chemotherapy and immunotherapy, which takes a pretty understanding publisher because there were some days and weeks I couldn't write because I just took this ferocious beating going through the treatment. But it became my purpose to get this book out because you can learn from my mistakes of which I've made many in my journey. And I my wife likens this book to what to expect when you're expecting, but for cancer, and it is the guidebook I wish somebody else had written 20 years ago when I started my journey because it would help so much. And the book comes out September 13th and I can't wait for it to get out because I've test driven this book with cancer patients who I'd known it's 100% certain that it will make a difference. And I'm 100% certain that uh, you know there's
0: lessons in here that will save lives. So that's um, very comprehensive and I definitely appreciate it. And something that you said, and it's kind of a a reoccurring factor here uh, with men's health, just in general, not so much with our podcast, but um, someone who works very closely with us. A lot of our viewers know Joe Farrelly He's a testicular cancer survivor and his journey with testicular cancer. The start is somewhat similar to yours where your wife, had pretty much made you go to the doctor to get this checked out and Joe Forelli was actually having a lot of pain in his testicle and his mom made him go to the doctor to get it checked out and it's this reoccurring theme of of men where it's like at what point in time I mean do we just have to have an arm fall off before we go to the doctor Mm -hmm. and and that's kind of this reoccurring theme Um, do you have any uh, comments about you know women or or other people in the life helping men kind of elevate their health care or go get checked out when needed.
1: Yeah, I, I do think that married men live longer for a reason because they have somebody you know pushing them to go to the doctor. I do think I learned my lesson back in two thousand and three when these guys that took out my thyroid, a for-profit oncologist in Houston, Texas, told me to go get radiation treatment again. And I'm like, that's crazy. I just started owning this Jersey I, journey. I don't have a thyroid. I don't have it back again. So I switched my treatment to MD Anderson. So at that point I started really advocating for myself, but it is a constant challenge for men to want to go to the doctor and to say that there's something wrong. And I wish there was a better solution to it. Other than that, it's okay to advocate for yourself and to pick up the phone and call it. I've got a son who's 28 years old and he's learned by watching me that if there's an issue, it's okay to call the doctor. Like he came home from college and he had stuff on his back that didn't look good and on skin stuff. And he says, dad, I think I need to go see a dermatologist. So at least he's learned. So we've got one guy that's advocating for himself because he's seen his dad doing it all these years. Because if I hadn't,
0: I'm hundred percent certain I would, would be dead already. Right. And an advocacy, self-advocacy or having someone else advocate for you is such an important component. And I think that personally, the I feel dealing with um, family members having some issues that the healthcare system is at times very difficult to navigate. When do you get to pick your own doctor? How do you pick a care team? These are kind of some things that you've covered in your book. So let's talk, talk about the, ad, the self-advocacy uh, component of this. What are some things that you would like to discuss with our audience that would probably make them a better advocate for themselves or for a family member?
1: Yeah, it's a misconception with many that the medical care team owns your journey. What I've learned is that the medical care team appreciates a patient, who owns their own journey, who is prepared, who is educated, who asks good questions, who shows up on time, who communicates with them on every issue that they have going on. So the advocacy part of owning your journey, what clarifies it for me as a cancer patient is I have to own my journey because my life really depends on it. Understanding the healthcare, you know this because you're you're in that business, but they're busy and they have a lot of patients. And so you have to develop a relationship with your care team so they know who you are. And, and the way that you do that is they'll remember you if you come in prepared and they'll remember you if you follow up. I send my medical care team a thank you note after every appointment. So the advocacy, advocacy whether it's cancer or not cancer, becomes super important or else you'll get lost in the shuffle. And it starts with who's your care team? And how do you find the care team? And, and I'm fortunate that yeah, I've been through this enough that I'm pretty good about being able to do it, but it's taken me time to figure it out. I research it. So when I went to MD Anderson in Houston from my local guy that did the thyroid stuff, when my lymphoma came back, I went to MD Anderson. I went to MD Anderson because for my particular type of lymphoma, they had some people there that, that specialized in it. And so I traveled 23 times in one 24-month period to go to MD Anderson for my first lymphoma and my second and my third lymphoma treatments because that's where I could get the best treatment. So part of that advocating for yourself is being willing to look elsewhere if you can find somebody that specializes in your particular issue. And what I try to coach people on is don't go to somebody because your neighbor likes them, because they're a nice person, because they're close. You need to go to somebody that specializes in what your particular area is, wherever they are, if you can. And it's not everybody can afford to fly to Houston 23 times in 24 months. And we had to make some sacrifices to do that too. And I leaned on resources like the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, Southwest Airlines was super helpful, provided some tickets for me to fly so I could get that treatment.
0: Wow, so what, what must it have been like to go and receive chemotherapy and radiation treatment Somewhere outside of your state, and then come back, I mean you must have been exhausted to say the least, yeah, it's challenging yeah i I
1: kept my cancer a secret from most people until it came back in twenty nineteen so my work I was working at Ironman in Tampa at the time, and I, I would leave the office on Thursday night, tell people I was taking a day off on Friday. I would go to Houston Thursday night, get my treatment, rest on Saturday, fly back on Sunday, be work on Monday. It's a real trick to try to cover up the symptoms when you're not feeling very good. I was fortunate enough that I was able to keep my hair. And so you could invisibly see that I've been through it, but I had this issue called a chemo brain. And so I really had to work hard to try to hide that at work, so much so that I'd have to practice the math before I'd go into these meetings where I had to do math. And I would have my wife remind me what people's names were when we would go see them. What's their name again? And so you use all sorts of tricks to kind of help with yourself. But for my latest round, which was in Jacksonville in Mayo, because I couldn't go to Houston due to the COVID stuff, I couldn't get in easily, is that uh, I had started a marketing agency so I could kind of flex my time and rest more, which by the way, Patrick, is the best thing I ever did was to rest during my treatments versus what I did the first four times, which is to try to continue a normal life the best I could and hide it. That really wasn't a very good
0: idea. Right. So this is going to kind of segue us into our next topic. I mean, resting and actually taking the time and, and acknowledging what your body is calling for is so important with a healthy person, not to mention someone who is going through chemo, immunotherapy, radiation, things like that. What did you do? What were some things that you did uh, other than rest that were kind of like listening to your body and and some of those things that people might be able to take with them after listening to this podcast?
1: Listening to your body, by the way, which you mentioned is super important, which is when your body says that you're tired, then it's time to rest. But I also work really, really hard on my diet. And my diet's made a big difference in how I feel, not just going through treatment where I'd have a specific diet to try to counter some of the side effects from the chemo. But now that I'm post chemo, I'm trying to feel better through my diet, which has been great. So obviously I stay well hydrated. My I limit my consumption of red meat. I limit the consumption of sugar. I lean in on fruits. I lean in on vegetables. And right now, because I'm trying to rebuild my immune system, because I'm pretty seriously immunocompromised compromised from the treatment, still, is I'm leaning into certain foods, uh, orange foods, peppers, things that might help build my immune system. And that's made a big difference. Another giant difference for me is the physical activity. It's hard to it's hard to be too physical going through chemo. I was pretty banged up for about 20 months where I couldn't do too much. But once I started feeling better, I continue now running. I'm an Ironman athlete, but now I'm limiting it to running. And so that is not only good for my body, strengthens my heart. It strengthens the immune system. It also, most importantly for me, it's kind of my mental and emotional outlet. People say, what's your therapy? And I'm like, it's running and that running really is the secret sauce for me handling it the way I handle it, which is generally pretty calmly. I mean, I have moods, and I have ups and downs like everybody, but as long as I got my feet on the pavement and I'm moving,
0: then I'm pretty good. Well, running and exercise in general also is a huge uh, releaser of endorphins as well, so any type of Pain that you might experience from those chemo treatments and radiation treatments. Do you think that running helped mitigate a little bit of that pain um, rather than going to maybe medication to to help with some of the pain or, or discomfort?
1: That's a hundred percent true. Uh, the, I, I take, despite all my issues, I take one pill in the morning, which is to replace, it's a thyroid replacement hormone to replace my missing thyroid, that's it. And so I try to, I limit dairy for the inflammation side, but you hit the nail on the head. I don't have to take many drugs uh, if I'm out there being active. I'm also being active, this is kind of to your point, in that I'm trying to be ready for when my cancer comes back. So every time the cancer has come back, I've been in peak physical shape when I went in for the treatment. And that does make a difference. The one story, I was going through treatment and I'm all alarmed up because I, my treatment's going to be pretty rough. And they turned off the treatment because my heart rate was so low. And so they stopped the treatment. They paged the doctor and like his heart rate is 42. And like we turned it off and he said, don't worry about him. He's an Ironman athlete. His heart rate's always that low. So don't worry about it. So my medical care team believes strongly that the physical activity has helped me in my healing and helped in my ability to beat it, which is why I'm always ready for it to come back. And I will have a number seven. So when it comes back, I'll be physically ready. But what's taken me really 20 years to, to get better is the diet. My wife jokes about it. it. Took you getting cancer five times before you really, really cleaned up your diet. And I'm using a, a dietitian and a nutritionist to coach me.
0: Right. So let's kind of go into that a little bit, because we don't on, on this show, we don't like to kind of push beliefs or, you know, say that a certain diet is good. But we do push whole foods. So kind of shopping on the outside part of the grocery store. Right. So lots of I agree. Definitely advocate a lot for fresh fruits and vegetables. Um you know, minimizing dairy, definitely eliminating, you know, uh, eliminating alcohol and smoking as much as possible, smoking altogether, hopefully, please, um, including vaping, things like that are are what we really push. Um, But, you know, we also do understand that people have lives, they like to go to birthday parties, like this idea of this, like perfect diet, I don't necessarily think is always um, possible for everyone. Right, but you can kind of get it down to a really good science with, and still have times where you can go enjoy yourself. So let's talk a little bit about what was your diet and lifestyle maybe pre-cancer, and you've kind of already touched a little bit on what it is now in in your preparation. Um, so what what kind of transitions did you make?
1: Yeah, first of all, let me address the point that you just make, which I hundred percent agree with. There is nobody. There's I don't even try to have a perfect diet, so. If somebody's, if one of my kids is having, a, we're having a, a, their birthday party, If there's a piece of cake, I'll eat it, right? So I'm trying to be 90% uh, good, but 10% give myself grace. I mean, it's okay to have a piece of cake or if you're in the mood for some Greek yogurt or whatever, um, I'm okay doing that too. But my diet really went from a fairly, I would say, traditional old school meat and potatoes type diet. Uh, all the way through, cancer number two and three, and you know I was limited on my vegetables. I was limited on my fruit. I would eat vegetables and fruit, but not like I do now. And I ate so much red meat and I ate so much dairy that I found pulling back on just those two things has helped me. That doesn't mean I won't go get a good hamburger. Uh, yeah, you know, out outside for me but I don't eat red meat, you know, two or three days a week, like I was before. I'm also trying to pull back on, on deli meat. I used to eat, you know, sliced turkey sandwich from the deli five days a week. And now I try not to eat any deli meat five days a week, but I can still have a chicken that I can buy and slice that up and eat the chicken. So it's just kind of the nuances of how much it's processed and how, how, and and how I would say natural that it is.
0: Yeah. So we, we have kind of uh, touched on this a little bit and actually caused some internet backlash, which I thought was really funny, but the world health organization actually classified a lot of the processed meats, your bacon, deli meat, things like that as a class one carcinogen, um, mm. equal to, uh, that of smoking. Mm. Uh, and and found that there was a stronger correlation between that and colon cancer, things like that. And, you know, we posted something on it and it caught a bunch of heat because people love their deli meat. It's delicious. I'm not here to deny that. Um, but when information like that comes out, it kind of forces you to make a change. And maybe I was dealing with it a little more intimately in pharmacy school. I would say similar to you, pre-pharmacy school, I was working... In a very fast paced job. It had a sales component. I was going out to nice dinners. I was eating, you know, uh, steak if you're, you're from the Tampa Bay area. So if you're familiar with like Eddie V's, mm-hmm. I mean, I was eating there a lot. And, um, mm-hmm. and so I realized after going to pharmacy school, some of the issues with these processed meats, red meat and things that I was consuming. So I definitely tapered that off and made a change for myself as well. Um, so a little bit more on your diet now, how would you say, what, what are some things that you probably consume the most of maybe that give you energy or, or that make you feel really good?
1: Yeah, I eat a lot of, I eat a lot of berries today for lunch. It was blueberries and strawberries. Uh, raspberries is my favorite uh, bananas for the potassium that helps me with my running. I do whole grains cause I need the carbs. I'm only running four and a half, five miles a day, but I need the carbs for that. I'll ramp that, those miles up. I do eat uh, protein in the morning. After my runs, I'll eat organic eggs, scrambled eggs, uh, whole grain toast. Those have been really good for me. I think it's also been helpful for me to, I'm trying, not 100% successfully, but I'm trying to back off the caffeine consumption I don't drink sodas, but I do do a lot of iced coffees. And so just in the last couple of weeks, I'm trying to have my coffee just in the morning and not rely on it for my afternoon,
0: Uh, you know, down, or maybe I'll take the dog for a walk, which will help me get through that. Interesting. Uh, Berries are just packed full of antioxidants. We cannot sing their praises enough. So especially blueberries, raspberries, all the things that you were discussing as well. So it's very interesting, the transition that you made. Um, And I would have to also add that a lot of people might have a misconception that the healthcare team doesn't necessarily, they, they just wanna quote unquote push pills, right? And a lot of the training that we get in pharmacy is to help people with their diet and lifestyle. And so I think sometimes people don't realize that, the healthcare system is difficult because doctors only have so much time and they don't, you know, not to knock med school, but they don't get a ton of nutrition in med school. And there's, it's kind of like your dietitians are part of your healthcare team and things like that. So, you know, I think the healthcare team wants you to exercise, they want you to eat healthier, but sometimes it's just very difficult with, like you said, how stretched the healthcare team is. It just, Kind of wanted to make that a point because we have heard a lot of people say like, "Oh, my doctor doesn't care. They just want to give me this med and send me out the door." But you know, much like you, it's there's a certain point in time where you do have to advocate for yourself and you do have to do some research on what is good for you. Um, yeah, it-
1: I've I've I found through my healthcare provider, which is Florida Blue, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. I'm on the Affordable Care Act because it's hard to get, you know, hard to get insurance. And, and, and so I'm thrilled with that. And I'm working with their dietitian. And so a lot of these healthcare companies, I was with Cigna before, had the same thing. I had an advocate at the health insurance company that was my go-to person that was a random phone call I got when I signed up for the insurance, said, Hey, I'm here to help you. I am glad I answered the phone. They followed up with an email and I'm like, Great, I need help. And so with Florida Blue. Just three months ago, she calls and says, hey, is there anything that you need? And I'm like, yes, I want to tighten up my diet to help rebuild my immune system. Can you help me? And she said, yes. And like three days later, I'm on a call with a dietitian, And she said, Bill, walnuts, peppers, mangoes, cantaloupe. She goes, your diet is is good. But if you want to get it a little bit better for immune system, here's what you should do. And she sent it to me. And I'm like, "Booya!" That's what I needed. And, and, and this has helped me in my treatments too. I remember at Mayo, everything was largely smooth on approvals, but every now and then you bump into an approval. I'm going to go do a CAT scan, which I have to get. And I get to the front desk. The person at Mayo is like, it's not approved. Like I just drove four hours for this appointment and I have to have it. It's not approved. I texted my Healthcare advocate from the insurance company. She texted me back and said, don't move. And within a minute, the screen popped up that it was approved. A lot of people don't know those advocates are available. You have to work to find them. But when you find them, because most people don't use them, Patrick, it's great. My advocate at Florida Blue, she texted me when she was going on vacation. Just so you know, I'm on vacation. If you need help, while oh, I'm gone. Here's who you should reach out to. I don't
0: pay extra for it. And it's beautiful. Yeah, there's, there's been a, a big push and seems like, and something that I definitely want to get into as well in my career is helping people. And that's why I found you as an interview so interesting, because you found ways to advocate for yourself. I advocated for my grandparents, um, you know, towards their end of life. And it's it's so much different where to, to have an advocate, even if it's not yourself, just work with you and help you and explain things to you makes it so easy because like in your case, if you're dealing with cancer, you have chemotherapy and radiation, you have a hundred things coming at you. It's just nice to have someone be there to help you um, within your journey, rather than dealing with another component to this of, you know, I couldn't imagine if you didn't have that advocate, you're going for a CAT scan and you're not approved you know, what that must have been like. And yeah, I'm sure you're like, you're probably your stomach dropped, you know, through the floor. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. i that that happened. So, and then just even, I can just tell in your voice and seeing you, the ease that that brought you. So it's really amazing that there are, you know, healthcare advocates out there within the insurance companies as well. And there are some outside, um, you know, of, of insurance plans as well. But let's move along a little bit. And so we're talking about how you're taking care of yourself physically. You're exercising, you're dieting, and you're really making a a comprehensive change to your lifestyle. So how do you care for yourself emotionally and mentally when you're undergoing cancer treatment or even the initial diagnosis of cancer, which must be incredibly difficult as well?
1: Yeah. So on the diagnosis side, I've had that too many times. And so I've learned that the best thing to do is to take a deep breath and I hit the pause clause. I just don't react much because sometimes those diagnoses aren't right. So you need to correlate around what's the true diagnosis. If it's cancer, it has to get staged and you have to determine what type of cancer it is. So what I've learned to do is to basically zip it up uh, so that I don't create emotional issues with others reaching out to me. So I don't post about it at all on social media. I limit who I tell because I'm trying to handle it emotionally and mentally myself. And I don't need to have phone calls, text, people coming over to talk with me about my cancer until I kind of get my head around what my plan is. Once I have a plan, I open it up a little bit more to be able to talk to people. But what I don't do is I don't listen to the people that say, Hey, have you heard about this, this drink that supposedly can help cure cancer? Or do you know about this guy in Mexico that does this innovative treatment or this person in Arkansas that does those things? I just don't listen because I'm on top of my own journey. Don't listen to it. But I also believe it's important to have some sort of outside help for me. Interestingly, That's largely through Facebook groups where we're all in a private group that we feel comfortable sharing things with each other. So there's no way to know what it's like to have cancer until you do. And so I try not to burden my wife to be my therapist. She's not it, because she needs her own support going through my journey with me. But outside help is super important, whether it's therapists, social workers, uh, faith leaders, Facebook groups like I do, psychiatrists, whatever, a a cancer patient or anybody with a serious health issue needs to have some outside help to help the emotional mental part of it because there's nobody that's gonna handle that 100% perfectly. So that has been a big lesson that I've learned. Obviously, the running has been a key for me. And before the running, doing triathlons was kind of my outlet. But uh, to be able to talk about it with people is super important.
0: Yeah, of course. And it's, it's neat that you have a Facebook group that you can discuss it with people that are going through similar situations. And something I learned in pharmacy school, kind of happy that this didn't actually happen to me. And I observed it because it was tough, was that we were on a rotation somewhere. And one of my classmates, I don't remember like the specifics of it, but one of my classmates um, was talking to a patient. And the patient, the patient's um, husband had a huge like drug interaction uh, at that pharmacy or from that the, the prescriber prescribed something they shouldn't have, and I think the pharmacy didn't catch it. And so, you know, this patient comes back, they're furious. And one of my classmates was like, "Oh, you know, I'm really sorry to hear that. I I understand." And you don't. That's that's kind of the thing, and and the. The patient, I mean, for lack of a better term, excuse my French, like lost her shit. Mm. Oh, you understand. You understand. And I don't think I've ever said, oh, I understand. (laughs) Ever since then, it was like ingrained into my head that you don't know someone's journey. Even if you do think, you know, their journey is so specific to them and the intricacies of it. A lot of people don't. And so it's interesting. I think it's great that you do have a group that people can that have an idea and have had you know trials and errors and successes can probably go into that group and really discuss the important components of their healthcare journey
1: you know i think it's that's true and i it's the covid pandemic trying to navigate the pandemic as a severely immunocompromised patient has been probably my biggest accomplishment i could write a whole book on that it's been real challenging still continues to be The Facebook group has been so helpful in helping identify where to get drugs. For example, um, next week in Miami, I get a drug called Evusheld. It's made by AstraZeneca. It's a convalescent plasma made from the plasma of patients that have had COVID already. And it's identified for the 7 million people in the U.S. that are immunocompromised. Most people don't know about it. A lot of doctors don't know about it. But in my group, we only we not only know about it, we help each other find it. And to think that I'm going to drive four and a half hours one way to Miami to get this drug shows you how important it is to me, shows you how hard the drug is to get. But it also shows the real value of that group, not just the emotional and mental part, but the part of like, where do I go? How can I get it? Uh, how much is it? How's it working? How's it working for you? What was your reaction? Those things are so helpful because it
0: gives you peace of mind. Yeah, that's that's a great point point. and I have heard of the the convalescent plasma I did honestly I did not know the drug name I'm currently studying for boards and that's not one of the uh, the mm. of drugs that we have to know but yeah. um, it's it's interesting that you guys are helping each other find it I mean are there, are there any ways that you guys get on are you guys making calls to certain institutions that you might know have it um, and and then just pointing that out to your your friends on the group true we have some
1: data nerds in this group that are accessing national health, the, the NHS data, you know, databases that are listening in on podcasts, listening in on, on webcasts. And so that data group is really helping identify for all of us the resources where to go look for it. But in this case, I'm like, I, I can't get it in Jacksonville. I, I can't get it in Tampa. Anybody know where else I can get it in Florida? And the answer was instant Here's the phone number. Call them
0: within five minutes. I had an appointment for a drug that's really hard to get. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. Um, So, what are some other components to navigating a global pandemic like COVID nineteen while you are immunocompromised? What are some other the other difficulties, um, and what are some successes that you you had during that? It's been very lonely.
1: I'm a people person, and I'm now. Working on two years of relative isolation, you know I miss going to the grocery store. I miss uh, going into the drugstore. I miss going into any place because I haven't been in any place outside of a healthcare uh, facility. But what I've had to do is to be super cautious on who I'm around, and it sounds kind of hardcore. And it all ebbs and flows based upon the seriousness of the pandemic, but. Uh, I need to be, in certain cases, my family comes in to see me from out of town. I actually test them using a PCR test, which I have access to because of my group. And so I know how to access PCR at home tests and make sure that they are negative for COVID before they spend too much time with me. 95% of the time, if people come over, we sit outside on the patio and have the fans on. So it's pretty good. I've learned to navigate. So I'm not a hermit. The running outside is pretty good, bike riding, go to the parks. I'm now comfortable eating at outdoor restaurants as long as I'm spread out pretty good. My kids desperately wanted to get me to be able to see Top Gun Maverick in a theater, which I was desperate to do myself. And so they rented the entire theater for me on a Saturday night. So oh, thanks. That's awesome. I wanted to go fishing in Key West. So my son found a pilot. And my son and the pilot and I flew to Key West for the day to go fishing. So there's some workarounds to it. But if you look at travel, it becomes kind of challenging. Like, where do you go to the bathroom? I can't go into the local gas station. So some of those things have been challenges, but mostly it's been the the mental aspect. Somebody asked me the question, so when are you just gonna live, Bill? When are you just gonna move on from the pandemic I said, when my immune system is rebuilt and I have some protection from COVID, Patrick, when I was going through chemo, my chance of surviving COVID was 45%. If that doesn't you know, wake you up to the importance of holding the line, I also had a friend that was had leukemia that passed away during the pandemic. He was beating the leukemia but lost to the COVID. So I remind myself every day, to stay strong until my immune system comes back and I get the next Evusheld injection and I measure my antibodies. Uh, I get those measured. Leukemia Lymphoma Society does that because I'm in a a trial for them to see how this is all working. My wife's going to Boston this weekend to see my son, see my daughter. I wish you could come. Wouldn't it be great if you could come? Like, yes, but I can't go. I just have to kind of suck it up and 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 keep a good positive attitude, which I largely do when I drop off at the airport tomorrow, maybe not so much, but uh, after
0: that, yes. So I definitely, a, a point that you made, I think a lot of people have kind of gotten a, a lot of, you know, maybe the bulk of the population is over COVID, right? I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. and to your point, when someone said, why don't you just get over it, Bill? I don't think the average person truly understands how much chemotherapy, radiation, et cetera, really debilitate your immune system and make it so difficult. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, they're really depleted. It, what cancer therapy does, you know, in general, is it's supposed to attack cells that are replicating and acting out of the natural order of things. And these cancer therapies, while they have gotten better and more targeted, they still hit cells that they're not really supposed to. So tell me a little bit about how the treatment has impacted your immune system, maybe in a little bit more detail than we've we've kind of surface area discussed, so that the average person can understand that this is a pretty significant uh, treatment that you are going through. So the immune system,
1: everybody's heard of the white blood cells, and there's a bunch of different types of white blood cells one set of those are the lymphocytes. And the lymphocytes are chasing the viruses. They're also chasing some of the bacterial things that come into you. But my cancer lymphoma is a cancer of the immune system. So already it's depleted going into it. That's one way we know I have it is you can measure the lymphocytes. But the treatment itself to be able to beat the cancer, it kills the the lymphocytes, which are Bs and T cells. And if you look at COVID, the vaccines, those vaccines work on the B cells. So if I don't have any B cells, and I've had four COVID vaccines, they're not sure how it works on the T cells, but since I don't have them, then the vaccines really have inability to work. So for cancer patients, depending on the chemo, depends on how beat up your immune system is. My immune system is largely rebuilt, except the lymphocytes well lymphocytes are the virus ones and so i'm kind of winding up to be only about on a quarter tank right now which is up from an eighth of a tank five months ago wow so it's not it's not just covid by the way i when i was going through this before i caught a cold and and it it turned into pneumonia so even a cold can kill you so
0: Right, yeah, that was my next point. Is uh, it's just not COVID. I mean, there's plenty of other things out there that attack your immune system, and in your case, a lot of times where your body has uh, probably adapted to something, or you've already had, um, you know, a cold or something like that. Without the B cells, you can get that again, and it like to your point, it can turn a flu or a common cold into a pretty significant pneumonia without the immune system. Um it, it's comparable, not it's not quite the same, but it's comparable to someone with HIV who has a depleted um immune system where the HIV isn't necessarily a thing that kills you. It's the flu or the common cold or something that causes other complications which would, you know, hurt someone or kill them. And so I think it's important for people to understand, you know, the idea of cancer treatment. And it's not just like, you're going to get this, you know, therapy, you're going in and you're actually having a lot of changes to your body take place during the course of therapy. Yeah, very true. And not
1: just the immune system too, it's the skin, it's the heart, it's the hair, it's your GI system. People don't fully appreciate. And I really appreciate it, especially after the last round, because my cancer keeps getting smarter to the treatments, So the treatments keep getting more difficult. So this last round, by far the most difficult, but people don't realize that the impact that the chemo can have on other areas too. It's just not the hair, which is the most common one. People see my hair thinned, but didn't fall the way out. And you're right. In many cases, it's not the cancer that beats you—it's something that you get from the can from the treatment that uh, knocks your immune system pretty good. And what I didn't fully appreciate is that the chemo can be so hardcore that sometimes it can kill you. It almost happened to me in 2008. It was an eye opener. I had no idea. I assumed this is going to be a nice linear progression. Here's the treatment. Here's how it's going to go. And I go in for my first treatment and have this massive life-threatening reaction happen and on at at 50 51 minutes into the treatment and they're ready for it i mean Andy anderson knows it could come so they're prepared i get the injections i need they save me and that's all good but that's when i really woke up that it's just not the cancer i have to worry about it's the treatment
0: right so what are some things that you did on treatment days um that would help make them a little bit more palatable? How do you manage your side effects? Um, you know, Outside of your exercise and diet routine, I know that you might be a little bit more limited. And like you said earlier in our discussion, on the days that you might need to write the book that your publisher is actually really understanding that some days you can't write, some days you don't feel good. So what are, what are the things that you do to maybe mentally or physically prepare yourself for a treatment? And then, what do you do to kind of mitigate some of those side effects—the GI, the rashes, uh, you know, things like that—that that, that are that are make it more palatable?
1: Yeah, the mental piece is the is the hardest part right off the bat. So the day before I go in for treatment, my family, my wife in particular, knows that that's a day I'm not going to say much. So you're preparing yourself kind of mentally. You get quiet. You get pensive. You don't wanna chat with people, just kind of getting your game face on before the big game. When, the next hardest part is we go up the night before to Jacksonville is actually walking in for the treatment. It's pulling me out of that car, pulling me out of the hotel to walk over to the treatment, it's it's the big challenge because it's hard to go in. And these treatments, they get progressively harder, not easier. So what I do is on the mental side, it's magic and it works. It's my job to beat cancer. This is part of my job to get there. I have goals each day. So if I'm going for treatment number three and I have 14 total, then I count. This is number three victory. I made it through the day. Once I walk in front, in the front door of the infusion center, I have my game face on and it's all work. And so now I'm good mentally. I'm on the field to play. I'm not nervous anymore. I'm relaxed. Let's just get this done and do what we need to get to get it handled today. I do walk in and I've learned that dress comfortably, baseball cap to keep the light out of your eyes, noise canceling headphones, don't plan to work, don't plan to read, don't don't use your phone unless you want to be looking at looking at uh, social media, but don't post. I usually give that to my wife so I don't accidentally post something while I'm under the influence of the meds. I take water with me. I limit what I eat before I go in because, yes, I'm going to have nausea as a side effect. And to, to handle the nausea post-treatment, I take the Zofran. I take the anti-nausea meds because I don't want to throw up. I'll take, I'll take constipation from the meds versus the other issue. So I stay on those meds religiously until that goes through. I also modify my diet. I eat less after the treatment, green tea, uh, uh maybe not as many blueberries, not as many of anything because I'm just not that hungry.
0: Right. So, well, thank you for kind of sharing that in case anyone's who's listening, Or as like a family member or someone they know that's going through it. That's really the purpose of this podcast a lot of the times is to provide some education and some outreach. So what kind of tips we've we've long time ago when we were baby podcasters, um, we had a a, someone who was a family member of someone with stage four prostate cancer. Uh, Her name's Kim, and she told us all about her journey taking care of her father. So what are some tips that you have for family or friends of cancer patients um, and basically how to be a great uh, support system or what can they do to help their family member, um, you know, feel better or help get through some of the treatments or just the diagnosis, things like that? Let's start with the friends. So uh, lessons to
1: people that have somebody... That's a friend that has cancer. I'll start with, on the negative side, things not to do, and it's, these are common mistakes. All of them have happened to me. People come over and they start to cry when they see you. That's try not to cry when you see the cancer patient. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> that puts them trying to comfort you versus them. Don't tell them they're going to beat it because you don't know. They don't know. You don't know. So let's leave that out of the conversation. Don't tell them you're gonna beat it because you have a positive attitude. I've heard that Patrick literally a thousand times. Oh, Bill, you're gonna beat it because you have a positive attitude. Not true. I've sat next to people that are have equally positive attitude as I do and, and they've passed away and I live. So I knew it wasn't the attitude. So, and don't tell me, we touched on this earlier. Don't tell me your story about cancer your dad's story about cancer, your friend's story about cancer, just leave that off. Don't uh, don't tell them treatments you think they should do, trust them to make their own medical care decisions. And, but what you also want to do is you want to provide the opportunity as a friend not to talk about cancer. Honestly, I, I don't like to talk about it, ironic since I wrote this book and now I'm forced to talk about it, but many cancer patients don't want to talk about it. So when my friends come over we're sitting outside now and we talk football we talk about the Bucks because I'm obsessed with the Bucks and Tom Brady I wish I could go see him play but that's not in the cards for me this year but I love you know Tom Brady and so we'll talk football we'll talk anything but cancer that's really what I like what what friends can do too the best thing that they can do is to listen if the cancer patient wants to talk about the cancer but if they don't bring it up then talk about anything else when it comes to food interesting one on the friend side, my wife and I still don't hundred percent agree on it, but I'm pretty sure as the cancer patient, I've got a good beat on this one, which is they want to bring food over. Well, as a cancer patient, food can taste different. Some food doesn't set with you right. So we had a friend of ours also named Kim who came up with this. She calls and says, what kind of food do you love? And I'm like, I love barbecue. She found a place in Tampa that has great barbecue and she brought that over. That was great. And if anybody brings me Chick-fil-A, it's always 100% going to be loved. So on (laughs) on on the food side, ask them what they want, find their restaurant, bring it to them. That's pretty thoughtful. I had a friend say to me, hey, Bill, is there anything I can do for you? Common question. A lot of times that's where it ends. Oh, no, I'm fine he took it to the next level. He said, how about I take you fishing? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd love to go fishing. Three days later, I'm fishing. This is a casual friend. I haven't seen him much since. Took me fishing and it was great. Just wanted to get my mind off of things. I found too that with my friends, I finally, and as a guy, this has been particularly challenging, my close friends, if I love them, I tell them. Even my guy friends. I got this good friend, Wayne. He lives in South Carolina and He's flown into seeing me multiple times just to sit outside on the patio and have a chat with me and I tell him I love him. He tells me he loves me back. And it's kind of magical because I don't want to be that guy that gets to the end and hasn't told my friends I love them. If I do, I just do. And it's been, been fantastic. And not all guys will reciprocate that way, but, you know, some will. And when they do, it just makes you feel so good
0: yeah, that's something that we've definitely tried to build here as part of our culture is it's okay to tell someone that you love them. It is not like you know it's it's not inappropriate to tell your buddy you love them, give them a hug, things like that. yeah, and uh, yeah. you know, I, I think people do embrace those kind of things a little bit differently, but we've tried to build a real culture of of people embracing themselves and and men also supporting men through other issues that they've been kind of going through, or, I mean, it it would be crazy. Like since we started this, our DMS on social media, our Instagram, our comment section, the podcast notes, sometimes our email. I mean, we've had so many guys and their family members reach out to us and just say, you know, they, they, they come forward to us. So like, you guys are advocating for men. I don't know where else to go. Somebody reached out to us the other day and was like, I, I have no idea. I just typed you guys name in and you were talking like you had some a podcast or I don't remember, um, you had a podcast and you had a post about information about what I was going through. And so we thought that was really cool. And And what we did, we just tried to embrace them give them the resources that they needed to help move on and provide some education on what they were going through. So I think it just embracing your friends is so important. Um, Kind of got a little off topic there, but you know, it's just kind of remind you, reminding me telling your friends that you love them is, is so important.
1: Yeah, it is. And to finish answering your question on the family side, it's been a work in progress on handling them. When I've been, my kids only know me as the cancer patient, when I got it 20 years ago, they were little tykes and now they're adults and they have their their jobs and their careers. And, and the best thing I think that we've done as a family is to let them live their own lives. And this is in the book, my daughter and son wrote a piece of the book to try to advise kids of cancer patients on how to deal with it. And for them it's reprioritize how they spend their time If my son comes in town, instead of going out with his friends, he'll probably spend the night with us, just hanging out, chit-chatting. Because to his point, his friends will be there forever. Maybe I won't be. So let's hang out with him while I can. My daughter moved to Boston right before I started my latest round. And she's like, Dad, do you want me to still go? I'm like, yeah, go. Go live your life. That's what Facetime's about. So she Facetimed me almost every night, check in with me, which is pretty powerful. I also think as a as a parent, you have to make sure that their emotional and mental health is handled too, because it's not easy to be the kid of a cancer patient. And so we make sure that they have the resources lined up for that, uh, outside help, uh, and and they and they do, and they have an outlet on their own so they can deal with it without having to talk to us about it. I do think it's tightened us up as a family. I don't think they really clued in on the seriousness of it until they were adults because I hid it from them when they were kids. Cause I didn't want to burden them with, Oh, this is what's happening. And this is how I feel. And this is what the risks are. And through as they mature and they understand what the stakes are, by, by just by it, it naturally happens we're a pretty close family
0: i think the a really important component there is that you're helping provide them resources for their own like mental and emotional health because i couldn't imagine what it's like i haven't had a you know family member or anything like that with any significant issues but also just having a place for them to go to express some of their questions and grievances um, outside of burdening you with, you know, you already, you already have treatment, you already have things that you have to deal with. And so giving them the resources that I think is really just a fantastic thing on your part. Um, And that I think helps them kind of like, to your point, move or live their life.
1: Yeah, it's true. Uh, When you talk about The cancer journey, its and you talk about your cancer team, all those people you touch are impacted in so many different ways. And there's certain people that I know that just kind of disappeared because they didn't know how to handle it. I don't get mad, Um, I'm, I'm sympathetic. I'm like, maybe for whatever reason that's triggering for them and they move on. But then you have other friends and family that lean in to support. And the best kind of support as a cancer patient Is just encouragement. Hey, just check it in. How are you doing? And I won't tell the casual friends, probably, really, how I'm doing. The closer friends, maybe I'll disclose a little bit more. The family, same way, depends on how close I am. I'm never full disclosure, Patrick, on how I feel because that's a little bit too much.
0: (laughs) Right. It's probably it's probably very fluid too. I mean, you probably have better days than others, and and so full disclosure. One day you could be feeling great, and the next probably not. So, um, I, I think that full disclosure might be difficult because it's probably an always changing environment.
1: Yeah, day to day, and I am I am out. You know, I'm well past my uh, chemo, and I'm done with all that. I feel physically great. I still have the immune system issue but if you saw me you'd I look completely normal but I still have my days where I just wake up and I don't feel normal emotionally and and I can't predict when those are going to happen to your point you just it's a roller coaster I have fewer of those days now but as I start ramping up towards my trip back to Mayo in October I literally have nightmares before i go get scanned it's called scanxiety, and it's when you get nervous about what are the results going to be and in my particular case it's not exaggerating to say these these answers that i get on these appointments are it's potentially life and death conversations you don't get used to those you just have to prepare yourself uh, for it and to that point controversial too but I really have done my homework to know what could happen. So I'm not surprised if something does happen. Um, Because we talked about it earlier, treatments are zigzag. They never go as you plan and never go on the same timetable that you expect. And outside of my first reaction in 2008, when I wasn't prepared, I know what could happen. So when it happens, I'm not like, Oh my gosh, what happened?
0: Right. And, um, We have time for a couple more questions from me. I'm I'm just kind of interested. I'm a big yogi. And a lot of times in yoga, we do talk about the inevitable. Everyone, this is like an absolute truth for everyone. We're all going to expire one day. Um, In 20 years ago, uh, you know, uh, uh, when your initial diagnosis happened, how has your perception of, you know, making peace with death and facing that um, and also probably handling family members and friends who might um, be worried about early death. You know, what, what are some things that you do to kind of face that and um, just prepare for the inevitable reality? Wow, that's a great question. I've
1: evolved. I think early on, I didn't even think about the dying part of it until 2008 when I almost did. And it was kind of in the back of my mind. I always assumed I was gonna beat it every time. But interestingly, subtly, I was starting to change anyway. Uh, For example, how I spend my time. I spend my time knowing that death is a possibility. I spend my time doing what adds value and what I wanna be doing versus what others want me to be doing. So I really prioritize uh, how I spend my time and focus on my time. Interestingly, I don't let the small stuff bother me. I was on a bike ride and somebody threw a Mountain Dew at me the other day and hit me in the back. And my reaction was not a reaction. And I just don't let the small stuff bother me. I work really hard, Patrick, to live in the moment, like now, focused on this podcast, period. And when I'm talking to people, I'm focused just on them. I put the phone down a lot more than I used to a lot less scrolling, a lot less worrying about who's texting me. I know that I can get back to them when I'm ready to get back with them. It's been one of the best things that's happened to me by having cancer. I would much rather not have had it, but the way it's reset, how I live my life is fairly significant. For example, how I spend money. I care less about stuff and I care more about spending money to create memories, less flying to Key West to go fishing. Those kind of spends are what make me happy versus what used to make me happy was the stuff. And that's been enlightening. When it comes to the dying piece of it, I've got very strong faith and that's tightened up through this journey so that I'm not afraid of what happens when I do die that not that I'm not fighting any harder to live because I am but I don't have that fear like I used to have and
0: that's through my faith wow that's um thank you so much for sharing that because I think everybody's experience and realization with death is very different um and I really like how you know just kind of boil it all down. You've become, it seems like you've become more present and lived in the moment so much more rather than worried about like, oh, I'll, you know, get this nice thing here, here. You're like, you're really wanting to spend time with the people that are important to you. You're less engaged with your phone and scrolling and things like that, which I think are really great because there's a whole world out there for us to enjoy and to live. And it's, you know, it can be very limiting with all the screen time that we have access to and maybe all the distractions that our society provides us. So, you know, I I think it's amazing that you you've changed in so many ways because, you know, unfortunately, I'm, I'm sorry that you had the cancer, but it's just so interesting to hear your journey and, and how you've changed. I mean, we've, we've talked about on this podcast, diet, lifestyle, mentality, emotions, I mean, we've like kind of hit the men's health spectrum in Mm -hmm. in about an hour, which I think is really amazing um, when we can focus on all those things. Because outside of the cancer component, a lot of these uh, things are are things that people can do to feel better. Um, You know, I, I kind of one more question for you is I'm sure there is. Been a lot of depression and anxiety components. And I think our society has a lot of depression and anxiety, especially here in America, and it's heavily medicated and things like that. Are there some things that you have done to mitigate some of those emotions or feelings? Yeah, it's so
1: true what you say. There's a lot of components to unpack on that question. But interestingly, I try to make sure that I ground myself. With the earth, uh, try to get sun every day, especially going through treatment. I called it vitamin D therapy. No matter what, I'd go sit out. Luckily, I live in the sunshine state. I go sit outside for 15 or 20 minutes and just kind of soak up the rays, look at the sky, look at the clouds, try to imagine what that cloud looks like. I rarely wear shoes, so I'm barefoot a lot on the earth, which is also uh, pretty powerful for me um the running is important for me i pray a lot which is super good for me uh i do a lot of deep breathing to try to calm my nerves and try to get some of the some of the anxiety out i limit my alcohol alcohol consumption i do drink but i don't drink much uh i try to avoid i might have 6 or 8 ounces of a beer and i listened to your podcast a couple of weeks ago and and it and i understand i understand the the whole alcohol issue and i usually if i'll have a beer it's because somebody comes over and sits outside and says you want to have a beer and and i'll do that i'm not drinking too much i don't drink at all going through treatment because i don't want to impact my immune system at all the hydration piece also really helps me stay pretty clear but those are how's that for the answer that's perfect
0: um yeah just I we've kind of been like toying with a lot of um, ideas of trying to helping people mitigate some depression and anxiety. I think those are some of the the major depressive disorders, one of the most diagnosed um, issues in America. Also, it gets misdiagnosed quite a bit as well. So we're really coming together for some educational pieces and getting some different perspectives on depression and anxiety to help with uh, to mitigate that for some of our our viewers. So I just kind of wanted to get your perspective on such an impactful um, event in your life of the cancer diagnosis of repeated diagnosis and treatment and how you manage. I mean, you do have a great attitude. It's been a, a lot of fun talking to you. And I've learned quite a bit just about your journey and, you know, uh, a patient's journey and how to advocate really. So thank you so much, Bill. It's been an absolute, uh, Thank you, Patrick. It's been an absolute pleasure um, to get to know you a little bit and to talk about your journey. And so, the final piece: um, where can any of our viewers find you? Where can they find your book? Um, anything that you would care to share um, to to help maybe uh, help our viewers out?
1: Sure. Thank you for that, and thanks for having me on your show. Uh, BillCPotts.com is how to find me. Email me at Bill at BillCPotts.com if you want to email me. The book is available worldwide starting on September the 13th. Most of the sales will come through Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Target.com, but you can pre-order it now. It'll show up in your mailbox on September the 13th. And if you don't need it yourself, and I hope the listeners don't have to read it, uh, but if they do, it's a great guide. And if you don't have to read it, Uh, buy it and give it to somebody that does because it really will improve their journey and by the way just so you know patrick i am work in progress i'm still learning as i go i already planning an addition to, because each time i go through this battle i learn more that can be appropriate to share with
0: others well thank you so much for being vulnerable Um, There's a huge uh, courage component to that and sharing your experience so that it might make other people's experiences easier or a little bit more palatable. So Bill Potts, everybody, thank you so much.